Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place. Activate Tampa is April 3rd through 4th. Don't miss this opportunity to be activated in the prophetic gifts with Dan McCollum and his world-class team. Check out all the details on our Facebook page now. Well, uh, we've been in this series called Body of Miracles, and I know it probably feels like it's been forever, because it has. This is like week eight, you know, the same series, and it broke up there a little bit while I was gone. But this is such an important series because... The Lord's just convicted me that if we're going to call ourselves the body of Christ, we have to be a miraculous body. Like it's not a side issue. It's not some like charismatic fringe doctrine. It's actually central to expressing who God is in the life of Christ Jesus. And we've been going after this. We've been talking about scripture after scripture. John 14, 12. I'm going to repeat it over and over again. Hopefully you can fill in some blanks for me. Let's see how well you've been listening. He said, whoever believes in me, it's not on the screens. (laughs) Whoever believes in me. We'll do the same works, same mighty works that I do. And even greater works will they do because I go to the Father. Wow. So you're actually called to do what Jesus did and greater. In John 10, after this, we're going to read in John 9 today. But in John 10, he goes on to tell them, he says, if you don't believe my words, that's fine. Believe my works. And he said, in fact, if I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe my words. I'm waiting for that day in the church. Don't believe a thing I say until I perform a miracle. Uh Uh-huh. That was Jesus' way of evangelism, (laughs) y'all. It works really well when you show them and then tell them. You show them and then they ask questions and you go, well, if you really want to know, you know, I guess I'll tell you now, you know. Now, this thing stretches far beyond just the Gospels. You know, if you read the book of Acts, believers were doing these things. It's church history. It's common. My mom is in the front row over here, 30-year chronic condition, healed in a moment, totally, completely healed. I mean, we have story after story. And if you think I'm lying, she's right there. She'll tell you afterwards. You need some faith. She'll pray for you. Watch out. (laughs) Might need some space. No, just saying. Anyway, that's my point. We can't just have good ideas. We have to have an expression of God's goodness. We can't just have good ideas like agree with me, believe, just agree that it's true. No, no. We need to have an expression of his goodness. That's the main idea. It has to supersede the natural realm. We need to be doing things that people go, okay, that definitely wasn't you. That was God. That couldn't have been you. How did you do that? I'm like, the Lord did it through me. I'm an expression of his goodness. That's what I'm called to be. And many of you are living this way. So I'm not like, I'm not whatever, but I just had a discontentedness growing in my heart of the lack of Jesus sized miracles, you know? And so if that's you, if you're with me, we're going to continue. Even if you're not, you're listening. So you're still sitting there. Hallelujah. John chapter nine. We're going to read the entire chapter of John chapter nine. Oh, a whole, a whole chapter of the Bible. Oh no. Yeah. We're going to read it. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. It's going to be on the screens. This is amazing. It says in John 9, verse 1 through 41. Yes, I said 41. Afterward, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, teacher, whose sin caused this guy's blindness, his own or the sin of his parents? Jesus answered, no. (laughs) He said, neither. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. While I am with you, it is daytime, and we must do the works of God. Say the works of God. We must do the works of God who sent me while the light shines. Did you notice he said we must do? Uh Yeah. 
while the light shines, for there is coming a dark night when no one will be able to work. As long as I am with you, my life is the light that pierces the whole the world's darkness. Then Jesus spat on the ground and made some clay with his saliva. Now the blind man's probably a little bit confused at this point, you know, like, wait a minute. What's about to happen? You know? Then he anointed the blind man's eyes with the clay that he made with his spit. Yeah, that really happened. And he said to the blind man, now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Siloam. So he went and washed his face. And as he came back, he could see for the first time in his life. Say that really happened. This isn't a parable, y'all. This is a historically accurate instance. This happened. Yeah, this caused quite a stir among the people of the neighborhood, (laughs) for they noticed the blind beggar was now seeing. They began to say to one another, isn't this the blind man who once sat and begged? Some said, no, it can't be him. Others said, but it looks just like him. It has to be him. All the while, the man kept insisting, I'm the man who was blind. (laughs) It's me, guys. You've seen me my whole life. I'm seeing you for the first time. It's me. Okay. Finally, they asked him, what has happened to you? Come on. Have any of you ever had such a miraculous event in your life that barely anybody believes you? Yeah, that's the God-sized kind. They didn't celebrate my testimony. Well, it's probably too big for their brain. Hallelujah. He replied, I met the man named Jesus. He rubbed clay on my eyes and said, go to the pool named Siloam and wash. So I went and while I was washing the clay from my eyes, I began to see for the very first time ever. So the people of the neighborhood inquired. I watched too much Sesame Street. This is my head. The people of your neighborhood. Sorry. Sorry. I have a two-year-old. It's just... And I had to get it out. It was going to bother me. (laughs) The people of the neighborhood inquired, where is this man? I have no idea, the man replied. (laughs) Because I was blind when he did the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Just, they say there's no such thing as a stupid question. Sorry. That's pretty silly. Where is he? Well, I have no idea. So the people marched him over to the Pharisees to speak with them. They were concerned. They were concerned. Because the miracle Jesus performed by making clay with his saliva and anointing the man's eyes happened on a Sabbath day. Ooh, Mufasa. A day that no one was allowed to work. Ooh. Oh, no. Then the Pharisees asked the man, How did you have your sight restored? He replied, A man anointed my eyes with clay. Then I washed, and now I can see for the first time in my life. Then an argument broke out among the Pharisees over the healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. Some said, this man who performed this healing is clearly, we can clearly see, easily seen that this man is not from God. He doesn't even observe the Sabbath. Others said, if Jesus is just an ordinary sinner, how could he perform a miracle like that? This prompted them to turn on the man healed of blindness, putting him on the spot in front of them all, demanding an answer. They asked, who do you say he is, the man who opened your blind eyes? He's a prophet of God, the man replied. Still refusing to believe that the man had been healed and was truly blind from birth, the Jewish leaders called for the man's parents. You get your mama involved now, like it's serious, right? Called for his man, the man's parents to be brought to them. So they asked his parents, is this your son? Yes, they answered. Was he really born blind? Yes, he was, they replied. So they pressed his parents to answer. Then how is it that he's now seeing? We have no idea, they answered. We don't know what happened to our son. Ask him. He's a mature adult. He can speak for himself. 
Now, the parents were obviously intimidated by the Jewish religious leaders, for they had already announced to the people that if anyone publicly confessed Jesus as the Messiah, they would be excommunicated. That's why they told him, ask him, he's a mature adult, he can speak for himself. So, once again, they summoned the man who was healed of blindness and said to him, swear to God to tell us the truth. We know the man who healed you is a sinful man. Do you agree? This is one of my favorite parts. The healed man replied, I have no idea what kind of man he is. You keep bringing me in here, t- kicking me out. Bring I, I, I don't know, guys. All I know is that I was blind and now I can see for the first time in my life. But what did he do to you, they asked. How did he heal you? The man responded, I told you once and you didn't listen to me. He actually told him twice. Just being nice. Why do you make me repeat it? Are you wanting to be his followers too? (laughs) Sassy, sassy, sassy. That's sassy. Yeah, this angered the Jewish leaders. They heaped insults on him. We can tell you're one of his followers. Now we know it. We are true followers of Moses, for we know that God spoke to Moses directly. But as for this one, we don't even know where he's coming from. Well, that's what a surprise that is, the man said. You don't even know where he comes from, but he healed my eyes, and now I can see. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but only to godly people who do his will. This is where the formerly blind man starts preaching their sermon back to them. And it's not fun. All right? Happened to me multiple times, usually by my wife. Not fun. Not fun to get your own words preached back to you. They're like, that was true when I said it. Oh, we know that God doesn't, we know, you know, we know, I know that he doesn't listen to sinners, but only to godly people who do his will. Yet, who has ever heard of a man born blind that was healed and given his eyesight for the very first time? I tell you, if this man isn't from God, he wouldn't be able to heal me like he has. This is like the dividing line, guys. Ideas, truth. There's the line. Some of the Jewish leaders were enraged and said, Just who do you think you are to lecture us? You were born a blind, filthy sinner. So they threw the man out in the street. He's like, man, I walked in and out four times. Why you got to throw me, man? I, I showed you I could walk out. I can see now. I know where the door is. Man. Sorry, this is how the movie plays in my head. It's just how it... When Jesus learned that they had thrown him out, he went to find him and said, Do you believe in the Son of God? The man whose blind eyes were healed answered, Who is he, Master? Tell me so that I can place all my faith in him. Jesus replied, You are looking right at him. He's speaking with you. It's me, the one in front of you now. Then the man threw himself at his feet and worshipped Jesus and said, Lord, I believe in you. And Jesus said, I have come to judge those who think they see and make them blind. And for those who are blind, I've come to make them see. Yes. Here's one of Caleb's favorite parts right here. Some of the Pharisees were standing nearby and overheard these words. Again, the movie in my head, Jesus wasn't like talking to the guy going, I've come to make sure that those who say they see are blind and those who are blind they see. No, he's like, I've come. This is why I've come. (laughs) So those who claim they can see will be turned blind. I just, they were standing nearby and overheard these words. Yeah. They interrupted Jesus and said, 
You mean to tell us that we are blind? Jesus told them, if you would acknowledge your blindness, then your sin would be removed. But now that you claim to see, your sin remains with you. Selah. What do you say? You're like, what do you say? Except la, 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 Selah. (laughs) This is the sixth miracle in the gospel. You survived the whole chapter of the Bible. Look at that. This is the sixth miracle in the Gospel of John. I don't think it's on accident. A man was born into darkness and received sight for the first time in his life. Six is the number of man. This is Jesus playing out in this man the first day of creation. Where darkness covered the deep and a great light pierced it. Yeah, he said in verse 3, while I'm with you, it's daytime. And then he goes on to say, I believe it is verse 5, as long as I'm with you, my life is the light that pierces the world darkness. Most translations say, I am the light of the world. When God said, let there be light, Jesus leapt out of his mouth. The sun wasn't created till the fourth day, but there was light on the first because Jesus is the day. Jesus is the light. The sun is a lesser light to the sun. He is the light of the world. It's a picture of the first day of creation. God started with darkness as he always does. All of God's good ideas begin at night. All of God's days start at night. If you read the Genesis story carefully, it says there was evening, there was morning, the first day. God always starts in the dark. You feel like you're in darkness? You feel like you've been abandoned by God? No, it's actually the perfect environment for him to speak. If it's dark all around you, it's actually an invitation for his light. It's an invitation for his word. You might think, oh, God has abandoned me. No, your darkness invites him. It actually says in the Psalms that he clothes himself in darkness. He likes it. All of his days start at night. The darkness is the same as light unto him. That means he can see in the dark just fine because he is the light. You're not lost. You're about to get a word. There are lost people. Amen. All they need is someone to come preach the word. Someone to share the word. Not the ideas. Not the principles. The prince himself. The person of truth. That looks like giving a cup of cold water to a thirsty one. That looks like blessing your enemy. Yes. Like pay the mortgage of the guy who hates you. Ooh, all right. uh, that's too much light. Too bright. Too bright, Caleb. <laughs> I hurts my eyes. Yeah. John starts his gospel with the be- in the beginning was the word. And then this is the sixth miracle. I just see this miracle as Jesus declaring himself to be Yahweh. The one whose very breath brings light to darkness. He spat. His breath was in Spit. I don't know how to say it without grossing you out. Yeah? Yeah. Come on. He breathed into the dust just as he breathed into Adam on the sixth day. This is the first and the last performing the, the proof that he's the son of man. Okay. Amen. So when God, when I'm just reading through this and God was showing me some other pictures, hope that's okay. And I got to go fast. But... I was just looking through the story and, you know, this question is uh, pretty crazy. The question that like, did he sin or did his 
parents sin. You know, have you ever thought about this? If you slow it down, the man was born blind. How would he have sinned if he was born blind? You might think, well, that's another one of those not bad questions. No no such thing as a bad question. No, it's actually because the Pharisees held a belief. Some of the Pharisees, not all of them, held a belief in something called transmigration. Okay? It's basically reincarnation for the sake of penance. Where you would be such a bad sinner in one life that God would send you into another body and you'd be suffering for the sins of your past life. The Pharisees, the, the Jewish leaders at the time taught this stuff. Yeah, some rabbis even believe that you could also sin in the womb. Aren't you glad for Jesus? I mean, the truth. <laughs> like they believe this stuff. That's why the Pharisees asked. Or I mean, the, the disciples asked. Because they grew up in this environment. Like, okay, is this one of those, you know, was it him in a past life? Or him in the womb? Or his parents? What is it? And God says, no. <laughs> I love that. Neither him nor his parents. Then it says that this is that the works of God may be displayed in him. Now, that bothered me for a little while because I was taught that that means, and maybe you've been taught the same, I was taught that means that God struck him blind so that he could prove he has authority over blindness. I've been taught that from people wearing nice shirts and Bible degrees. Yeah, not okay, man, because Jesus Christ is perfect theology. And if Jesus never did it, or even close to it, sorry, it's not the exact representation of God's being. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. If you want to theologically wrestle over that, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, he's the exact representation of God's being. Meaning, the being, the present tense I am, is displayed perfectly in Jesus Christ. So, I don't see that in the life of Jesus, so that bothers me as a, as a teaching point. And I asked the Lord about it. I actually got it on the way here this morning. Thank God. You know? He reminded me of 1 John 3. It's actually verse 8 where it says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. So if the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, if that's the work of God in the Son of Man, are you following me? When he says this, it's that the works of God might be displayed in him. He's actually assigning the fault to the devil. Hello? The reason the Son of God appeared. This is called a cross-reference, okay? You know, this is another place in the Bible that supports an idea. I'm not putting an idea in. I saw it. It's called an exegetical point. It's from the text itself. This isn't my idea. This is what it says. The whole counsel of Scripture shows this to be true. Okay? Are you okay? You're just looking at me a little funny. It's all right. It's okay. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. His work is to destroy the devil's work. God's work is to destroy the devil's work. And he said, this is that the work of God might be displayed. And we've twisted that. Some have twisted that to say, God made him blind. No, God's going to give him sight. That's the work of God. To destroy the works of the devil, like blindness. Amen? Amen. So, I just think that's good news. And this moment is so amazing because he spits on the ground and puts... The saliva on the guy's eyes. I don't know about you, but I'm getting out of that prayer line. If that goes, I'm, I'm like, no. You can go, bro. I'm gonna come over here. Just, you know, that's weird, right? Well, the reality is, God was actually healing more than his eyes. He was healing his heart because all his life he had been spat on by religious leaders and those who carried the title of rabbi. 
He had been spat on by those who claimed to know God. They said he was cursed by God. So he, they spat on him and spat in the dirt around him. Jesus did. He could have opened his eyes with like, you know, his flinching his pinky finger or, or thinking it. Right. I mean, he could have he could have said eyes open and they would have. Amen. Yes. Amen. So why the spit thing? Because he wasn't just healing his eyes. He was healing the eyes of his heart. Yes. And sometimes God uses the vehicle of your trauma to bring you healing. It's called inner healing. Yes. And it's seen in the life of the Lord. Yes. yes. These things have been used and abused and misused in all the sorts of ways. But it doesn't make it not true. When God heals you, he wants to heal the whole you. He wants to bring wholeness to your heart. Yeah. Listen. It's, does God always do it in this order and that way? Does God always take you back to your place of trauma? No. Can he? Yes. Will he always? I don't know. We're just going to do what he's doing, say what he's saying. Amen? Amen. I'm good with it. I have literally, uh, people have come, I'm just remembering a story. Oh my gosh, I got to hurry. People came to me for prayer. Kimberly was there at a, at a church camp. Two young ladies, and they asked me to pray for their back. And the Lord said, it's unforgiveness. I said, I'm not going to pray for your back. They're like, what? I said, you need to forgive somebody. And they both start weeping. Like, you know exactly who it is right now. Come on. Say their name. Forgive them. They forgave them. Their back pain left. I didn't pray for them. Now, every time there's back pain, are you going to default to that? No. That's a spirit of stupid. All right. But can God do it that way? Can that be the problem? Yes. Come on, above all, let's guard your heart, Proverbs 4, 23. For out of it is the wellspring of life, right? Come on. Amen. God wants to heal the whole man. Say the whole man. That's it. So just jumping down to verse 25, the Pharisees keep asking him and asking him and asking him. And they, um, they say, what kind, you tell us what kind of man this guy is. And that's when the guy goes, I have no idea what kind of man he was. And this is awesome because he only knew what God had done for him. He didn't even know what Jesus was like beyond the miracle. <laughs> we want to get people informed, then transformed. God just gives them gifts and says, we'll see if they want to find out who I am now. The new covenant is God gives first. The new covenant is God initiates. We still got old covenant paradise. We're like, you come in here and give us your sin. Give us your repentance and we'll give you a blessing. Come give up your life to Jesus and he'll give you something. That is totally backwards. What you need to do is go out there and say, God gave himself up for you. And he's ready to give you even more right now. Because of Jesus, I'm going to give you a gift. And you bless them. You bless them emotionally. You bless them physically. You bless them in some way. Are you hearing me? It's not just physical healings. Right? A body of miracles is someone who looks for problems and brings solution. Like you can be someone's miraculous provision. Like, you know, paying their rent this month. Amen? That's a miracle. And... They say, who is this guy? He says, I don't know. And they keep on berating him. Then this, I want to just clarify something because a few weeks ago, I talked about how faith investigates, right? Yeah? You invest your gate. Investing your gates. Lift up your head so you gates. Faith investigates, meaning it doesn't just take it 
for what it, it, it does take the word of the Lord for the word of the Lord, but it allows for questions. And you want the real things, so you dig. And you go, when did they, when they prayed, you know, you prayed and then their headache left. Did they type Tylenol anywhere near that time, you know? (laughs) It's a miracle, my headache's gone. That's the Tylenol. (laughs) What? Don't tell me we haven't been wanting it so bad that we've settled for spiritual ignorance. Yes, we have. Many times. I have. Just me. Sorry. Me. Me and everyone on Facebook. No one here. (laughs) Me and Facebook. Right. So, this is the difference, though. The Pharisees were not investigating a miracle. They were interrogating this man. They weren't investigating. They were interrogating. Investigation looks to find the truth no matter what. Interrogation looks to confirm something you believe to be true. Like, this man is a sinner because he did it on the Sabbath. He broke our rules, and that means he's a filthy sinner, and so are you for believing in him. And now we need to find evidence to support what we already know to be true. That's interrogation, not investigation. So, just want to clear that up. Not all questions are necessary. Just because you're questioning something doesn't mean you're investigating it from the right heart. Amen? Yeah, I've, I've experienced things and people have asked me questions about it and it just turns very sour very quickly and they're not actually looking to receive truth. They're looking to confirm what they believe to be true. Like it's all fake or whatever. Amen? Anybody experience these kind of things? Yeah. Me too. Yeah, yeah. No idea what you're talking about. And then in verse 35, it says, when Jesus learned they threw the man out, he went to go find him. How many times have we found Jesus on the other side of our rejection? And let this heal your heart. If you've been thrown out by church people, that's where Jesus meets you often. If the church people have thrown you out, Jesus doesn't stand on the inside and go, yeah, you deserve that. He goes and finds you. He goes and finds you. It says, verse 35, when he heard, they threw him, oh, they threw that guy out? Perfect. Jesus was crucified outside the gate. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is a hard word. Only a few will hear it. Sometimes you need to get your butt thrown out. Sometimes it was the sovereignty of God. Sometimes God knew that's the only way you'd want him on the level that you needed to want him on. Why else did Jesus just let them berate him and trash talk him? Why didn't he just go in and say, guys, stop. I healed the dude. I am the Messiah. Get over yourselves. You religious, you know, jerks. He didn't do that. Why does he let it go on? Because God allows everything. God allowed sin to happen. God, the idea. Now we're talking about the sovereignty of God. This is way too big for two minutes. But (laughs) the argument that because God allows it, God wants it is ridiculous. God allows everything. If it happens, it's because he allowed it. He's sovereign. He's all powerful. He could stop anything. He could have stopped Adam from sinning in the garden, but he didn't. God allowed. Yeah, well, God allowed it. So he must have wanted. No, that's if you were God, that's how it would have to work. (laughs) Because you want control. God is not in control. He's sovereign. Oh, I'm in so much trouble. I should have said that in first, not on live. Whatever. Let me say it this way. God doesn't want to control you. He wants to love you. The words God is in control are not in your Bible. I love you. They're not in there. God is sovereign is in there. And it's more than just control. He can control anything. And in his sovereignty, he gave you and I control. 
the heavens of the Lord, the earth he has given to the children of man. Three years of ministry. And then he goes, hey, I send you out in my authority. I'm going to go into, I'm going to go, you know, sit with my papa upstairs and you're going to do the work now. Hello? Oh, man. Sometimes God lets you sit through things that are not ideal because God allows everything that happens. Hello? He doesn't send all things, but he works all things together for our good. Romans 8, 28. For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen? So God doesn't send everything, but he'll use everything. And he was consistently putting you on the fastest track to his heart. Consistently. That might look like a dark night of the soul. But all of his days begin at night. He saw the blind man and came to him and said, oh, here's an opportunity to display who I am. Amen. I know this is like real tough. Like, well, I thought you were a grace guy. You can't talk like that. Well, I just believe in the whole counsel of scripture. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He will meet us in, even in our rejection to show us who he truly is. Amen. Come on. Does this help anyone who's felt rejected? Come on. You're not rejected by him. You were rejected by them, but not by him. He'll use it. He'll use it. And he'll probably use it to heal their hearts. The one who rejected you through you. If you submit to him. All right, last point, and I'll leave you alone because you got that look. You got that look. <laughs> yeah, I know. James 4 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know the verse. That's right. So we need to be cautious when we're saying God wouldn't do it like that. God doesn't do it that way. Uh, he is the way, so he can do whatever way he wants. He's even called it Yahweh. All right, like, <laughs> would God do it like that? Yeah, wait. Yeah, wait. Yeah. no way. Yeah, wait. Yeah. All right, that's such a bad, bad joke right there. Anyway, he says it in John nine thirty nine. I've come to judge those who think they see and make them blind. And for those who are blind, I've come to make them see. When we admit our blindness, we're ready for revelation. Enlightenment comes when you, when you admit you need to be enlightened. If you have nothing to learn, you have learned nothing. That's a thought we're thinking about. If you have nothing left to learn, then you have learned nothing. Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out theRestingPlaceTampa.com.